After all those good lookings, you reckon this like single? <laughs> anyway, good morning. It is good to be with you. And uh, just one more announcement. We, we've got team night coming up. So, so for all of those of you who've been coming to church week after week and you do nothing. <laughs> no, team night is an, is an amazing experience. I'm just causing um, You will really enjoy team night because uh, we get to one profile all our ministries and we get to have a lot of fun with our teams. In fact, um, my staff told me that I was going to be in a lip sync battle with Tim and Gary and I was going to sing... Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Anyway, I, I was, it was going to go down. But, but they thought that I would botch it so badly that I'd break the church. And, uh, and, and so we canceled that. But they also thought that I would lose to Tim. And I'm feeling quite, I'm feeling quite sad about that. Anyway, the team night is happening on the 22nd. So now. Uh, today, I'm going to continue the series, uh, Slaying Giants or, or Giants Must Fall. And... Um, what I'm going to speak about today is I'm going to talk about coming out, coming out of the wilderness, how you get out of the wilderness. And there's this high stakes principle in the scripture that, that honestly, if you, if you miss this principle, this high stakes aspect, you land yourself in trouble. I, I, I was kind of trying to think through high stakes experiences through my life. And I thought about lots of kite surfing incidences where I went backwards through lagoons and, and all kinds of things like that. And, but, but what kept flying into my mind, and I don't know why, and, and some of you are probably going to have to forgive me for this story, but uh, was, was when I was in Form 2, and uh, Form 2 in Zim, it's, it's Standard 9. And uh, anyway, one of the kids in Form 3 stole a dynamo out of the science lab as you do if you're at a boarding school. Anyway, he stole this dynamo, and the way the dynamo works is you, you wind it like this, and a 12-volt and charge comes out of two wires. And so because he was a boarder, he decided that he was going to steal the dynamo, and he was going to attach the wires to the male urinal. <laughs> because this is what happens in boarding schools. And, and so anyway, I'll tell you why it was high stakes. So it, was, it was a high-stakes initiative for a number of reasons. One is that in order to do what he was going to do, and some of you are thinking, what is he going to do? What he was going to do is when he heard the tinkle, he's going to start winding. <laughs> in order to do that, he had to stay hidden, which makes this an extra high-stakes deal. Because though he was doing it in a, in a standard eight and standard nine era, there was a chance that the person who came through was a 17 or 18-year-old post-matric, which would have made it very high stakes. As I remember, a couple of my friends started going to the toilet, and then you would hear, and then there would be a problem. So, so what guys started to do is they started to take water bottles and spray it on the thing, and if they heard, then they knew, don't we now. But if, if otherwise, they'd, they'd go for it. High stakes. This principle in Scripture is so high stakes that if you do not get it right, you will stay in the wilderness. And I'm going to read what's really a heavy Scripture from Hebrews, looking back to the wilderness, and here's what it says. <clears throat> See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. 
But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. And then it says this, remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. Remember, here's a concept. There is a process that sin has on our lives that hardens our hearts to a place where we don't expect that God will come through. This is what's, what's going on. But he deliberately, the writer of this text, deliberately points back to a psalm. It's Psalm 95 verse 8, where it says, Today, when you hear his heart, the scripture says, don't harden your heart like they did at Meribah. So you hear that, you go, well, what happened at Meribah? Glad you asked. I'm going to go there. In Numbers 20, it talks about Meribah. It says, in the, first year of the, in the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. The people blamed Moses and said, if only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers. Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die along with our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. <clears throat> now, yesterday, if you, I mean last Sunday, if you if here, Gary spoke from Numbers 14 about the, the 12 spies. 10 spies bring a bad report, and the result is that all of Israel can't go into the promised land. They, they buy into the lie that they can't make it. This scripture is six chapters after that. What's fascinating about this ch- scripture is that from this scripture, Numbers chapter 20, to Numbers 14 are 38 years Up to Numbers 14 is only two years. Two years of full-time action. There's the plagues, then there's the Red Sea, then there's fire on a mountain, then there's water out of a rock, and it just goes on and on. It's just like action for two years. And then for 38 years, nothing. There's one, one thing that happens. A guy, Korah, decides to start a coup. Moses is so not bothered, he goes and prays. The ground swallows him up. Just a warning. There's Aaron's staff, I mean a staff at Bud's, it's an incredible story. But outside of that, nothing, 38 years of nothing, of walking around in the desert. And I mean, I want you to just think about this desert, because lots of us think it's a nice experience, desert. But let me show you what this desert looked like. Pretty, hey? Every day, you're walking through there. Ladies, imagine camping in that for... For 40 years. Imagine having children in that. Imagine labor in that. Ladies are getting the picture. Guys, imagine you want to play cricket with your son in that. You go like, Joshua, just, just move those 552 rocks over there so that we can bowl. Oh, there are no sticks. Gary, where's Gary? Bring your legs. Those, we need some stumps. Or, By the time you got it ready, the, sand, the, the wind starts blowing, sand starts coming. Have you ever been in the desert when, it's blowing wind, when the wind's blowing? It goes in your nose and your ears, it goes in other orifices. It's just horrible. 40 years of this. 
Anyone feel like you're in a wilderness? You know, the thing about being there for 40 years is it doesn't matter if the manna tastes like, tastes like creme brulee. After day six, you're going, give me something else. Everything about this sucks. Now, if you grew up in like Polokwane or Ladysmith, this is fine. <laughs> but if you've come out of Durban or Egypt, you've got to understand, Egypt's weather patterns have changed somewhat, but Egypt was lush. Egypt looked like this. I mean, this is a picture of modern-day Egypt. But Egypt was green, and they were, that's why they talk about all these trees. They talk about the pomegranates. They talk about everything that's available there because it was desirable. It's why, why people lived there. It's why nobody lived in the desert. You can go back to that pretty picture of the desert. This is where they're at. I can understand why they wanted to go back to Egypt. I worked in Newcastle for six months in winter. You know what happens? Sorry for all you people who live in Ladysmith, Newcastle, Polokwane. No, I don't know about Polokwane. That's your own fault. In Newcastle, what would happen is I'd get to Friday and I'd get to drive back. And... On the drive back, I'd get to Hillcrest, and things would start to go green. And it was like my eyes were starving for green. And then you would go over that hill as you come past the pavilion, and you would see blue. And my soul would go, <sighs> 40 years of that. There is a day where if you're stuck in that, that you wake up and you realize the barrenness outside of you has got inside of you. And on that day, hope gets sucked out of you and you start to long for any other picture than that one. These guys had got to the place where any other picture would do. But they began to think about Egypt because it was the picture they knew. And here's what will happen. When hope is pulled out of you for your current circumstance, you will look back on a previous circumstance and you will forget the slavery that was entailed there and all you'll remember is the pretty tree. That's, that's what happens. That's why we will always go back. And so they're stuck here looking at this and they're going, we're going to go back. I was at a, a bride the other day. And I started a conversation. I don't know if any of you have been in any of these conversations. It started off with the corruption. That carried on for about 15 or 16 minutes. And by the end of that, it felt like three hours, we started talking about the crime. And then when we finished the crime, we started talking about how the rand was devaluing. And basically, I was getting poorer every day. And then we started talking about how when my, my kids grew up, they were going to leave. And I wouldn't be poor enough, uh, rich enough to go with them. Any of you had this conversation? It's like an exciting conversation. You leave that conversation just going, oh, life is good. I'm going to die here. They're going to get into the promised land, not me. Here's what I realized. So many Christians, they take the step of faith. They walk into something that they're dreaming God has for their lives. And as they take the step of faith, they realize they just stepped into a desert. And it looks and feels like that. And yeah, yeah, there's cloud, there's God's presence, and yeah, yeah, He provides, He gives us something to eat, and yeah, He's around, I can feel Him, but man, it's ugly. 
But man, it just feels like today was the same as yesterday. It just feels hopeless. This is where Israel get to, and we can understand how Israel got there because we get there. And this entire portion of Scripture is telling us you can't afford to get there. You have to change the way you do life so that you don't get there. So I'm going to talk about how you don't get there, but before I do that, I have to hurt you some more into being there. Because when the hope is sucked out of you, what you begin to do is you start to get into a place where you can't even see reality. They, they couldn't see the reality that if they went back into Egypt, they'd be killed. And they couldn't see the reality that God had taken them back to the exact same rock that 38 years before he'd provided water out of. And so they sit in a place of hopelessness, but unable to see reality. You see, the thing about unbelief is that if unbelief gets into your heart, you will not be able to see the reality of circumstances. You will find people who have unbelief in their hearts, and I've been there, so I, I, I empathize with you, but you will literally see a miracle in front of you, and you'll go, there must be an explanation. It's not realistic. It doesn't make any sense. But you get your heart into that space, and you'll go, it couldn't have been God. That's where they're at. When you think about it, it's fascinating how God deals with them in the mess of their hearts. You know what he does? He takes them into a crisis. So they're already a mess. And God goes, I know how I'm going to deal with you. Some of you are feeling like this. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you to where it's worse. I'm going to bring you right to a place where there is no getting out of it. And he takes them to this rock. Now, you know, there are lots of problems that you can have, but there's, there's none quite as bad as thirst. I, I grew up in a game farm. We got lost from time to time. The one thing you were scared of was, was dehydration, because if you dehydrated, there was, uh, death was imminent. God takes them to a place where there is no possible way that their environment can provide for their needs. Some of you are in a place where there is no possible way that your environment will provide for your needs. God took them there. And then it says this, Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle where they fell face down on the ground. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord said to Moses, you and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. And their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hands and struck the rock twice with the staff. And water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their full. What I love about this scripture is... It's like, could God have made it more impossible? I mean, you think about the composition of a rock. The rocks, rocks don't have hydrogen or oxygen. Like, you could squeeze that thing as hard as you wanted. It could not produce water. 
God will often take you to spaces where there is no way that you, there is nothing anybody around you could do. You're in a situation where you need complete wisdom and all your mates are idiots. It's like he'll, he'll take you to a place where you need funding and every bank is going, no. You, you, need, you need qualifications and the starting question is, what are your qualifications? You just can't get the job. You, you're single and you're female and there are no boys in Durban. I've, Amen, said the front row. <laughs> Terence. God is still bringing water from rocks. Anyway. You ever heard the term the 11th hour? You ever lived through the 11th hour, anyone? Uh, I remember when we were building the kids' church behind us. Uh, we used to have a tent on the outside, for those of you new to us, uh, when this building was a lot smaller, and, and we had a tent that we did kids' church in, and then we decided that wasn't good because only the fittest were surviving. So we, we, we thought that we, we better build a kids' church facility, which is that glass thing outside. And uh, the guy came in with a quote, and, and we had half the money for the quote. But I felt like God said, go for it. And so on the Friday, I said, go for it. And on the Sunday, I said, Lord, help. And then I said, church, help. And uh, on the Monday, on the 11th hour, before the deposit had to go down, the money came in. Don't you think God's cruel? I mean, he could have solved this problem in a million different ways. He, he could have taken them to a river. He could have taken them to a well. But he waits till the 11th hour. Then he says, Moses, speak to the rock. You see, what happens in a crisis is what's inside of us comes out. When you hit crisis, what's inside is revealed. Israel hit crisis. A crisis, 10 times. There were 10 times that Israel say, let's go back to Egypt. 10 times they hit a crisis and what's in their heart comes out. You need to understand this. If you're in a crisis, you're feeling like you're in the water from the rock need place. God is doing that for a specific reason because he wants to show you what's inside of your heart so that he can deal with it. And he wants to show you what's inside of his heart so that he can provide through your environment something that your environment is incapable of giving you. This is, this is really important because God needs you to get to the end of you in the crisis in the 11th hour so that he can show you that he can do something in a desert situation so that you will never be scared of the desert again. Some of you are facing something. You're going like, I'm at my 11th hour. I'm at my wit's end. And God's going, I'm not going to let you or anybody else solve this problem. Only I am going to solve this problem because I still bring water out of the rock. And I am going to set you free so that the next time you get yourself into this situation, you're not scared of it. It is better than your faces are telling me. But anyway. God still brings water out of rocks. I don't know if you know the story of Kira Mungavin, but I mean, it's hit News 24 and, and everything else, and Rich is one of my friends, and his daughter got into an accident. Her frontal cortex was damaged. She should never have been able to do anything again. It's been a miracle, because God still provi provides water from rocks. 
There's a guy, Keith Pillay, he comes in the evening service. He came to me and, and basically he told me that the doctors were telling him he's going to die. Everything was failing, it's not working. We prayed just before Christmas. He came to me when I got back from leave and he said, Ross, the doctors don't understand. But basically God still brings water out of rocks. I, I think about so many stories. I, I think about this building that we did last year. I had this clever finance lady tell me how much our congregation could give. I, I don't know if I should tell you this, but anyway, it's out now. She said you could raise two-thirds of what we needed. And I felt God say, go. Lots of people just, I'm not following that oak anymore. And so we went. And then the roofs collapsed and all kinds of things happened. But the God who still provides water out of rocks told people like Rory died to give us money. And it just, it just came and you've got to understand God still provides water out of the rock. But he does it for a specific purpose so that you will break free from the past. And what happened to Israel is that they'd got to the water from the rock moment. But the water from the rock moment hadn't gotten to them. So that when they hit it again, the unbelief rose to the surface and God was going, I want you to deal with your unbelief. So I'm going to show you something utterly impossible so that you can be set free, so that you can go into your promised land. Now, I've been studying this scripture. You know, there are about 18 times it speaks of this scripture throughout the Bible. This is a big principle. And I was thinking to myself, God, speak to me about what you're actually doing here, because it's more than just setting people free. There's more going on. And in Psalm 81, it talks about this experience as a test. I'm going to read the scripture to you. It says, You cried to me in trouble and I saved you. I answered you out of the thunder cloud and tested your faith when there was no water at Meribah. I don't know how many of you love tests. Tests weren't my favorite. And uh, only test I truly deeply remember was in Mr. Armstrong's class. And Andy Johnson and I were cheating. And we got caught, but he got Kane six. And I met Andy Johnson the other day. I still couldn't look him in the eye. <laughs> the purpose of a test is to reveal to you that you've got what it takes to go into grade two. This is the purpose of a test. Israel failed every single time. Every time, of those 10 times, they would get to the test and the unbelief that they'd cultivated in their heart because they'd been dreaming about Egypt. See, I, I want to dive into this a little bit. After those conversations I had about the economy and the rand and I'm getting poor and my kids are going to leave, by the end of those conversations, you get to a place where it is very difficult not to fantasize about starting a kitesurfing shop in Fiji. What happens when stuff goes wrong is we start to go to fantasy. Israel went to fantasy. They went to Egypt. It was a fantasy because there was no reality wrapped around it. It was, it was a fantasy world. We go to series and we go to dreams about other countries and other places and other marriages and other lives and other things. What Moses, Joshua, and Caleb did is they killed the fantasy. There was no going back to Egypt for them. It was not even an option. They knew, if, if Moses knew if he went back to Egypt, he'd be killed, which leaves only one thing to look to, the rock. 
And in 1 Corinthians 10, it says the rock is Christ. In the wilderness, you have to get to a place where there's no other option but to look to Christ. If you're in the wilderness now, the gift God gives to you is there is no other way out of here. If you try to do it on your own, you're going to come left. You've got to grab hold of him through the rock. When you do that in the wilderness, what will begin to happen is a dream will pop into your heart. So um, I've had a few wilderness seasons. Anyway, the other day I meet a guy in Klantla. He is um, a businessman. And I'd set up this meeting because I'm looking for a black, really good business guy, wealthy influential business guy to help me shift some stuff in Florida Road. I don't want a whitey, got lots of you, I want a black guy. So I sit down with him in and I said to him, tell me about you, tell me what you're doing. And he explains to me, how exciting is this? He says to me, well, I've got these seaters and I've got this and I've got that. And he says, but I'm starting a school. In fact, I'm, I'm doing the opening prayer for the school next week. He says, I'm starting a school in the townships that specialize in coding, app development, and robotics. I said, can my kids go? <laughs> he said, they'll be very white. Anyway, I'm chatting to Atlanta. He says, tell me the purpose of your church. And tell me your dreams. It's a question I haven't been asked for a while. And so I started to, to speak, and it just started to flow out. I said, well, I believe that we can plant churches right the way through Durban. I, I kind of feel like God's put in my heart to plant two, 10 sites throughout Durban. And I, I believe that the church can change an area, uh, that the church can be instrumental to shifting an area like Florida Road. The, the church can change stuff. And I believe that if we, if we get it right, we can start to change various economic nodes throughout the city. And then we, we keep talking, and I said, and I, I'm dreaming for a Bible school so that we can raise up pastors and we can send them out into Africa. And I'm dreaming for a worship school so that we can raise up worship bands. And, and we've got some guys who are going to start training youngsters in, in music. And as I'm speaking, I'm starting to realize there's stuff that I haven't been dreaming of because I've been in the wilderness and the hope has been sucked out of me and I need to cultivate it again. And the starting place is just the rock. But from then you start dreaming with God about a better future. And if you start to do that, you suddenly find, man, I'm excited. By the end of the conversation, I was jumping up like a preacher. I was like, I am so amped for what God is going to do through us. Why? Because I'm dreaming in God instead of fantasizing in the desert. And Atlanta finished that, and he said, I'll buy a property in Florida Road. He said, what about Windermere Road? And I said, yeah, that's the goal. We want to shift Windermere Road as well. He says, yeah, maybe we must talk about that. We can maybe fix that up too. You see, when you start speaking the language of faith, what actually happens is that people shift from it can't be done to what's the opportunity. And in that space, life begins to flow. And South Africans... If you don't get this thing, 2019 will be a death year. You have to fight for the only thing to be the rock, and then you have to fight the dream of faith. I gave you homework in the first week, and I know none of you did it. You guys suck. I, I, I asked people. I said, where are you going, 
And what do you have to leave behind? I want to give you homework again. I want you to go, what is the fantasy? How am I going to kill it? So that I can grab hold of the rock who is Christ and a future that is not scared of my environment. Let's stand. This text is so full, I probably could have preached four messages on this text. In fact, by the evening service, we'll probably know what we're going to say. But the big thing is, Moses misses it in this text. He hits the rock when God asked him to speak to the rock. The rock being a picture of Christ, you can't strike Christ once, twice. He, he dies a sacrifice for sin once for all time. And for some of you, you need to just accept the rock into your life, Christ. He, he went through one sacrifice that was big enough for all of your life, all your mistakes, all your unbelief, everything else. And so he says, bring your unbelief to me. Let's deal with it so you can be set free. So Heavenly Fathers, we come to you. The, we, we come through your son, the rock. And Jesus, we bring all our unbelief. Help us in our unbelief. And give us faith for this year so that our report will not be like the ten spies, but be, will be one full of faith and grace and power. I pray this in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.